You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Gold has got a few years to go. I'm not saying it's not going to be volatile in the interim. I'm actually hoping it is, because then there's more of an opportunity to pick up these stocks that I like um, at, at a better price. Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to engage the show, as always, you can feel free to email me at bill at miningstockeducation.com. Well, I hope your portfolios are performing well, as is mine this week with gold and silver in particular really rising. It's nice to see a lot of green, double-digit green in my account every day. And on today's show, we're going to be hearing from a resource investing expert, newsletter writer Joe Mazumdar from Exploration Insights. If you're not familiar with Joe's work, go on over to explorationinsights.com. Joe, thanks for coming on Mining Stock Education again. And I'd like to start off with getting your commentary and sharing with us what is the significance of all of these in the last couple weeks. We've seen these bought deals or financing announced, and then they're immediately upsized, some of them by 50% or more. Uh, what does this mean? Are the generalists coming in or is this smart institutional money? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I, I have been tallying year to date uh, uh equity financings on you know on the canadian markets and uh, i tell you about 240 transactions that raised over two billion dollars canadian uh, in 2020 year to date and mainly linked uh, 75 to 80 percent all precious metals average deal size was nine million which is which is good uh, but what we saw was there was a momentum coming uh, in early january to about pdac uh, when uh, when gold was breaking through 1600, and then we saw a gap between around PDAC to about April, where we didn't see a lot of financings, and then post, let's say about mid-April, in that we saw another significant rise as gold started, uh, you know, uh, breaking up uh, over 1700, and so you could see that you could almost map that with the uh, with the cumulative uh, financings, and uh, what I've noticed is that uh, you know uh, for, uh, even development companies uh, that were like you were talking about getting upsized and bought deals some of the ones that i noticed that were doing really well were the advanced development plays in precious metals um, uh, like we had mag silver we had bluestone we had orla uh, and we had silvercrest and, and also, I mean, I, I, I guess you could map what we were seeing in terms of the val- volatility with, with how Silvercrest financing went. So Silvercrest initially had a bought deal that I believe was around 70 to 75 million at a price, you know, I, I believe it was over $8 or something like that. And uh, they had that all worked out. The market plunged in mid-March. And then uh, uh, the people that were doing the bought deal, uh, the underwriters decided to... Uh, suspend it, cancel it, uh, which uh, obviously, uh, you know, put uh, Silvercrest's, uh, you know, uh, issues with respect to financing out of out of whack. And so they came back to the market and did their own financing, this time non-brokered, and they raised that money, granted a lower price, but then that got upsized. And I think they were starting at about 70, 75, and then they ended up going to about 100 million. So there is demand there. There's absolutely demand there. And, and I think it's not, it's not only the retail because these aren't small companies that are getting funded. It's back to institutional equity. I'm hearing a lot about family offices getting in it, uh, into the action. And um, 
So, yeah, it does seem that uh, with all these financings we've seen of late uh, since uh, since April, there, there's a lot of generalists coming in. A lot of the companies you just mentioned, like MAG and Silvercrest, they have top tier assets. But what about the companies that might have uh, tier two assets? Do you expect in the second half of this year that they will have easier access to capital? Yes. I mean, uh, it, it's been difficult for a lot of these companies to raise money. But what I've seen is uh, on the back of drill holes, uh, like Roscan drills a hole in uh, in West Africa, they immediately go and raise five million. Um, Free Gold Ventures drills a hole up in Alaska, and you know they turn around and raise five million. So the market is there, and it's not just Eric Sprott, uh, you know, although he's heavily involved. Uh, last year, what we saw was Eric Sprott being a big part of the financings. This year, there's there's a lot more. Uh, uh, people involved uh, um, that that can write big checks uh, being involved. Um, so yes, I think that that tier two level uh, of companies, yes, um, is uh, the, the financing risk is much less right now. We've also seen in the last week uh, M and A action within the sector. We haven't seen a bigger company coming in and buying a smaller project at a substantial premium but it's mergers and acquisitions nonetheless. I'd like to get your commentary on SSR Mining merging with a lasser, that miner there in Turkey. What do you think is going on right here? Well, I mean, um, you know, like you said, we've seen a few deals and there was a, you know, uh, like a flood of deals uh, last Monday and Alasser uh, or Alasser, uh, Alasser uh, and Gold and SSR Mining was one of them. Grand Columbia with Goldex and trying to make a bid on Guyana Goldfields. Uh, Guyana Goldfields prior with Silvercorp, Shandong Gold, uh, you know, buying buying TMAC, an underperformer, and Adriatic in uh, the Tethian belt of Eastern Europe uh, purchasing Tethian. So we had all those transactions happening, you know, in a spectrum, producers to exploration companies consolidating. Uh, with respect to SSR mining, I mean, that was the biggest M&A transaction over the last few weeks, you know, uh, combined about $4 billion transaction. And the trend is post barracks. Uh, acquisition of Rand Gold um, is for these no premium acquisitions because the last cycle we saw a lot of high premium acquisitions that ended up being write downs. Uh, uh, you know that companies are just uh, you know ending right now in terms of finishing all those write downs from non-accretive transactions and uh, capital misallocation. So right now, even though people would like to acquire, they're very wary. Of, of acquisition for acquisition's sake because of, of, of the recent history of write downs with respect to MA activity. So if it's a big acquisition, these no premium uh, bids, you know, friendly acquisitions, not, not a lot of hostile that you have to bring a little, uh, a lot of premium in or a cash component to get the deal done. And, and what I see about SSR mining with Alistair is is that consolidation in the mid-tier space for relevance. And so to get noticed by these generalists that are coming in that uh, are looking for big companies, very liquid, and potentially you know, uh, the combination being able to attract those generalists. And so between SSRM and Alistair, Alistair probably had the issue that it was a single asset company and the asset was in Turkey. The asset is good generates a lot of free cash flow, but it's only in Turkey. And so uh, what SSRM mining gives them is a more diversified portfolio 
um, uh, and so they could throw in North America, you know, Marigold Project in Nevada, uh, CB in in in, um, in in Saskatchewan, and that, and 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 uh, diversify the risk a bit. And so that works very well for for um, Alistair. Uh, what what works well for SSR Mining is it gives them a significant free cash flowing asset in 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 uh, in, in Turkey. Uh, uh, that makes a lot of money, but probably needs more capital to grow, and SSR Mining has the balance sheet. So that combination of balance sheet for SSR Mining with growth, free cash flow generating asset in, in Turkey, diversification, and then the potential to put that together and potentially eventually uh, you know, do dividends. And the combination is interesting because you know, post-combination, um, SSR many, uh, mining divested themselves of Silvercrest, which might have been a potential acquisition for them. But now it looks like they might have more of their capital to be spent organically at their um, at, at projects like the one in Turkey. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has a tight share structure, and with its current treasury, it can self-fund the advancement of its gold discovery into at least 20 2022. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. And under what terms would you invest in a, a company in Turkey? Would it only be through a vehicle like SSR Mining Now or Sandstorm, which has a, has a large ownership of the Hot Madan project? I mean, what are your thoughts on Turkey as a jurisdiction? I mean, uh, Turkey has gotten to be uh, much less secular than it was, and it's gone a little bit more fundamental. Um, and so um, it, it would seem that, uh, you know, if you're working with somebody or investing in a company in Turkey, that the management team or the board, uh, you know, has good connections in Turkey uh, uh, such that they don't have any issues. I mean, you know, we have another company like Liberty Gold that's got assets in Turkey and they're divesting themselves of them. Um, uh, because they've had trouble, you know, permitting in Turkey. Uh, I, you know, with Hot Madan and and um, Sandstorm and Mariana previously, who who we owned in the portfolio, is that they've got a really good partner in Turkey. You know, seventy percent owned uh, by Lydia Madencelik. That that uh, that sort of mitigates the risk of being in Turkey. They're the operator. They've got the connections. They're part of a big conglomerate. So I mean, that's a for me, a better way to play Turkey uh, than uh, maybe having somebody go in and grassroots explore there and find something and then have to deal with all the permitting and uh, bureaucracy of, of, of Turkey. Turkey, uh, just like a lot of that part of the Tethian belt, is very prospective and has generated a lot of high quality assets. The problem, like uh, Alistair had found probably, is that just being in Turkey with with no diversification is not helpful, especially in a uh, in a in a, in a growing uh, a gold price environment. Because still, a lot of those generalists, I think, don't like a lot of geopolitical risk. 
um, and would prefer the Americas or something like that to uh, you know higher geopolitical risk jurisdictions. So that's something that they needed to be aware of. And I think with the diversification, that's something that they they managed to get. If you're going to invest, Joe, in a single asset producer, after you do your due diligence on the management team, of course, and the project itself, would you mandate for your own portfolio, that it would be in a tier one jurisdiction then if we're talking about investing in a single asset producer? No, no, uh, because we've seen a lot of uh, single asset producers that have done well in you know jurisdictions that some people might, might not like. So when I'm looking at a jurisdiction that I'm not sure about, you know, like you said, a site visit's very helpful, uh, but also I need to see who's building it, where they're getting the funding, who's supporting them. And so my, my, my example would be Guatemala and, uh, and Bluestone Mining and so, or Bluestone Resources, is, is that, uh, you know, here's a company that's in Guatemala. Not a lot of people like Guatemala. The, the background of the, the Escobal, uh, you know, shut down and put on care and maintenance. Uh, so you have all that negativity about Guatemala. I went to Guatemala the infrastructure is pretty good. Uh, you know, the Bluestone's got the Cerro uh, Blanco uh, mine that was actually had Gold Corp do a lot of underground development and not even mine it. There's like four kilometers of underground development there and a water treatment facility. I mean, it's it's like um, eight to 10 year uh, underground, uh, eight to nine grams, you know, uh, very profitable uh, and it's permitted. Uh, but what gets me is that, okay, it's in Guatemala, but now technically and financing-wise, do they have the right people? Well, Lundin Group, uh, they own about a third of the company, and uh, uh, one of Lucas Lundin's sons is actually the CEO now. And so I know they have the financing wherewithal, and technically, now they're you know, using a lot of the advisors that built uh, you know, Fruta del Norte, uh, uh, into this, another, you know, uh, underground mine in a, uh, you know, Latin America uh, uh, with G-Mining, which uh, did a really good job at Fruta del Norte. They did a really good job with Marion at Newmont. So, yeah, that's what sort of gives me a lot of uh, confidence that they're, that they want to build it and they're doing the right thing. And also they have a backer with deep pockets that could see them through a lot of the financing issues. And what was nice about what happened was, you know, usually companies try to get the debt component first, and then that way that they can assure the equity holder that, hey, I've got this debt package behind me. But Bluestone ended up doing, you know, the oversize, uh, you know, financing, oversubscribed financing prior to getting the debt worked out for their uh, uh, for the upfront capital to build um, uh, Cerro Blanco, which which I thought was pretty interesting. Your um, insights in real time go out to your subscribers, but now that we're about two months on the other side of that mid-March crisis and sell-off in the gold and resource stocks, can you share with us how you navigated the last two months? Uh, it wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> like it was a lot of like, uh, you know, how low is gonna, this going to go? But, you know, I remember 2008, and I'm not saying that it's similar, everything is similar, but, you know, human behavior is very similar. We like to panic and, uh, when we don't understand something. And, and I saw a lot of that in 2008 when I was working for Newmont. And, uh, I, and I sort of thought that we might see a V-shaped recovery, especially in precious metals. Base metals would be harder. Uh, uh, just because of you know the you know that that China was being impacted and China 
was you know the uh, the biggest um, uh, consumer of these uh, of these commodities. Um, so so I thought okay I, I, I'll work on my precious metals, but you know like we were talking about prior to the interview, you know you need to sell something to buy something, and so I had some wins with you know Sandstorm. I, I took a bit of money off the table on that and and, um, and uh, Irving Resources in Japan, though I still own both of them, but I managed to take some of that money and reallocate it and buy some that I thought were very cheap and high quality companies like, like Mag Silver and Liberty Gold. And so I, I picked those up, did well on those. I got a quick win on Mag Silver and then sold that and then reallocated that money into a ASX listed company with a high grade resource, Bellevue Gold. Um, you know, so I, uh, so I've been, I've been trying to manage that, you know, but I haven't sold, you know, the, the base metal companies that I like, uh, like, like Trilogy Metals, I haven't sold that, you know, and, and I still like the Palladium. And so I still got Platinum Group Metals and I'm waiting for that to come back. And as China comes back, we should see, you know, some of these base metals and, you know, industrial production led metals come back. And I'm still looking for quality and good management teams. And as long as I got that, I'll continue to hold those. And if anything, try to buy more when, when they, when they dip. But yeah, so th that's the way I've been selling. I haven't tried to panic and sell everything and then buy it all back again. Uh, I've been more about trying to pick um, companies that I think are, you know, uh, high quality with good management teams that are very highly uh, undervalued. When we spoke a few months ago, when you were last on the show, you had about 50% of your resource portfolio in prospect generators. Did that demographic within your portfolio change at all? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've, I've probably got more now that I've added more um, uh, explorers and advanced explorers. Um, so I've got and more precious metals right now uh, than I did at the beginning of the year. But it's not like I sold a lot of the um, you know prospect generators because right now, what, what the issue with prospect generators is that when the when the mining uh, cycle is down and financing is difficult, uh, prospect generators work better because they uh, you know they use other people's money to look for things. And a lot of the prospect generators I've got, you know, are still pretty cheap and I don't want to sell right now. So I still continue to hold them. They're definitely not what's moving my portfolio up. It's, you know, um, uh, these other companies that are basically delivering the goods right now, not them. But like I think, I would, like a lot of these companies, if they hit a hole, like Radius hit last year at, at their Amalia joint venture with Pan American, we could still see you know, more than a double from companies like this. And uh, most of them are funded. The issue right now that we have with a lot of companies is, is they're funded uh, to do things. Uh, they got the asset, but some of them actually can't do the exploration right now because of lockdowns. And, and that's, that's, that's very true of, of Peru. Uh, that, that's definitely an issue in Peru where companies are just sort of sitting on their hands right now burning through their uh, working capital, waiting for that thing to turn with respect to getting access to their projects. Joe, this next question is about the uh, precious metals bull market that we're in that I believe has been confirmed. Uh, the first part of the question is, how long do you think this is will last your expectation in terms of years? And the second question is, what is your strategy to profit to the max 
over the course of this bull market. We hear of the strategy of doing private placements, then stripping the warrants and reallocating that same money into a new private placement, a highly leveraged way to try to make the most while you still have the time in the upward cycle of the bull market. Uh, what is your strategy? Well, you know, doing the private placements are, are uh, good. Uh, the, the problem is that a lot of our subscribers can't do the private placements. And so we, we do, I do more in the market. Uh, because of, I don't really like the four-month hold, uh, and so the market is volatile. And if we have an issue, like with a single-asset company, you know, I'd like to be able to sell it, as opposed to being stuck with it. Uh, but if we have a market where we're seeing all these marginal uh, assets, companies with marginal assets being able to attract money, yeah, it's, it, the market is turning. Uh, with respect to, you know, now we're seeing not quality actually getting funded, but now we're seeing assets that uh, you know uh, quote unquote offer leverage to the gold price uh, getting funded but uh, a lot of those assets probably should never be built and what is your expectation in terms of years for how long this bull market will go on i mean it's, it's going to be volatile i mean the thing the underlying issue uh, is the amount of uh, you know money that's being uh, you know put out there with respect to the central banks the uh, defacement of the currencies uh, and, and that's the, we're still going to feel the effects of that for a few years at least. Um, post uh, and we're probably not done, as as the uh, U.S. Federal Reserve was was talking about in terms of supporting the U.S. economy. So in terms of that, yes, gold has uh, uh, got a few years to go. I'm not saying it's not going to be volatile in the interim. And I'm actually hoping it is because then there's more of an opportunity to pick up these stocks that I like um, at at a better price. Um, right now, I mean, uh, we're still waiting for. I mean, we saw the gold to silver ratio, you know, as high as one 127 at one point, and now it's it's gone down below 100. And so, the the, the one that we have the silver exposure to, like a Pan American silver, has done quite well in that environment. Um, and so. That silver uh, push as well is something that I'm looking at. Yeah, I've I've been able to benefit from that rise in silver as I'm heavily weighted in silver juniors, so I've appreciated that. As we look to the second half of this year and even the summer, um, as we bring this conversation to a close, what final advice would you leave with the resource investors that are listening to us? Well, I mean, I would like for me um, in the portfolio and because I write a newsletter, I'm, I'm always concerned about you know the volatility with respect to the individual management teams, especially when you're buying a junior, you know, non-cash flowing explorer, you know, management is still important. The asset is important. What can they do? Are they funded to do it? And, and some companies uh, are funded. Uh, and, but if you're looking for something to happen in the next six to 12 months, you got to worry or concern yourself with, can they actually spend that money? Uh, um, you know, is, um, do they have people, uh, there to actually drill the holes or do the work. And I've noticed that about the, you know, not just the supply chain as people want to get things that are closer to their assets, you know, with respect to cyanide, with respect to building things as opposed to ordering everything from China. But they're also like uh, manpower, like uh, people that have a lot of expats that fly to the asset to work on it. They're basically shut down. But people who have more people locally to work on those projects and can access them, they continue to work. And so I think that's going to change going forward. And you almost have to dig into a, 
the companies in a bit more detail to find out if, uh, you know, even if they're funded and you like the asset, you like the management team. Another thing is, can they actually deliver these catalysts? Can they actually work these assets? And so that's something else that I'm thinking about. I mean, I might pick up a company with a long-term view and not be worried about that. But if you're looking for a short-term gain going into the summer, thinking about the field season, and then you're and then you find out that they can't actually work yet. That, that's something you want to think about. Joe's website again is explorationinsights.com. There's ed- educational resources there, and if you're interested in Joe's real-time insights and companies that he invests in, go ahead and sign up for his newsletter. There's more information at his websites. Joe, as always, I uh, appreciate your insights and thanks for coming on today's show with me. No worries. Thanks for the invite, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.